Welcome to the Messianic Media Podcast, bringing you the latest in Messianic Jewish music, video, and art. I'm David Kazan, a Messianic filmmaker, artist, and musician. My father is Rabbi Barney Kazan, the founder and rabbi of Keilat Ariel Messianic Synagogue in San Diego. He is also the author of Matthew Presents Yeshua, King Messiah, a Messianic Commentary, as well as the popular books God's Appointed Times and God's Appointed Customs. I'm here with my father, Rabbi Barney Kasdan. Um, how did you first get involved in ministry? Growing up uh, in a secular Jewish family in Southern California, we were not believers in Yeshua. So uh, uh, the first step was uh, a spiritual awareness, awakening. And back to my uh, uh, late high school, early college years, uh, started searching, like a, a lot of people do at that time of life. And uh, some friends uh, kept telling me, especially some Christian friends, hey, uh, Jesus is the Messiah. So, uh, you know, and I kind of naturally thought, well, that's great for you guys. I'm Jewish, so I, I don't really need that. I got the exemption card. But... Um, you know, I have to admit they got me interested enough to, to read the New Testament for the first time when I was 18 years old. Uh, never read that before. And uh, I figured, well, you know, I'm kind of rejecting Yeshua and never even read what he said. So uh started reading, and, and short story, uh, it, it took a while, a couple years, but became a believer in 1971. And... Um, from there, uh, I, I was had started college. I was a history major, and I had no inclination about ministry, uh, going into full-time ministry. But um, I uh, be, began to uh, look at other colleges to transfer to, and someone told me, hey, there's a, a college where you can get your history major and you can study the Bible. And I thought, oh, that, that's totally cool. So I... I transferred up to Biola University in Los Angeles and uh, just that, a history major, but you take several Bible classes along the way, part of the requirement. And I found out I, I, I like the Bible classes uh, more than the history classes. And I think God used that uh, in my life to part of his calling to say, hey, you know, this is where I should be, full-time uh, ministry and especially Jewish ministry. Uh, and uh, so in the, in the mid-70s, uh, confirmed that call and uh, never looked back. So what was the transition from going to a Bible college in Los Angeles to starting a synagogue in San Diego? Uh, well, I, I started out being involved in the Los Angeles area, some of the early Messianic groups, uh, uh, Aviv Judea in Orange County, and then... Uh, Beth Ariel Fellowship in West Los Angeles, and uh, so I worked a, a couple years there, and and uh, met my Jewish wife uh, Liz, and uh, when we first got married, we lived in Santa Monica, working with Ariel Ministries and Beth Ariel Fellowship in particular, and uh, I was uh, pretty much raised in San Diego. Uh, went to from elementary school through high school, San Diego County. So always, you know, had a connection here. It was kind of, you know, my home growing up. And even though I'd been about eight or nine years in Los Angeles, I started getting calls and requests from my parents who, who uh, still lived in San Diego County. I said, hey, son, we, we, you know, you got six or seven Messianic groups in Los Angeles and nothing going in San Diego. Why don't you come down and uh, let's start something? So... Uh, it, it just <laughs> looked, looked good, and, and I guess our attitude was, well, let's try it. We're full-time in L.A. We'll, we'll do uh, twice a month, Friday nights, we'll, we'll go down to San Diego and see if there's enough interest. And, you know, and, and this is 1981 when we started, uh, November of 81. And we did the commute for about a year and a half of uh, Friday nights and still living in Santa Monica. But uh, by the end of that year and a half, we had about 30-plus people, and it was just 
for us, that was pretty good, a pretty good indicator that, you know what, there, there will be a Messianic group here, and it's God's, God's uh, sign to go for it. So um, we moved, uh, me and my wife Liz moved back down to uh, San Diego in, in uh, August of uh, 1983, and uh, went, then we started full-time services with Kehilat Ariel. How have you been involved in playing music for Kehilat Ariel? Um, were you involved in other ministries as part of a music team? Yeah, I like a lot of people in my generation. Uh, when the Beatles came out, when rock and roll kind of took off in the in the early '60s, um, I got a guitar and in junior high, and and uh, you know played guitar since then. Loved music, had different you know amateur bands through high school, and. Um, so after I became a, a Messianic Jew, follower of Yeshua, it seemed pretty natural to use the guitar for uh, ministry. And um, oh, I even, you know, well, I actually made my first commitment to the Lord uh, in uh, Maui, Hawaii. So uh, obviously not in a Messianic group, but I think uh, about the third week I was a believer, they said, hey, you play guitar, come on up. And, you know, I was the only, <laughs> it was a solo instrument. They had no other music. Uh, it was a great little fellowship in, in Hawaii. And I enjoyed that. And just for various groups, played uh, for ministry-type music. And and then uh, when got got involved fully in, in the Jewish ministry, um, uh, yeah, music was the main thing. I was actually the, the music director at Beth Ariel Fellowship in, in uh, West L.A. And uh, so we had a good uh, good group there, keyboard, uh, trumpet, and guitar. And uh, I played uh, acoustic guitar. And uh, a, a nice little side, side note of that is that uh, one day after service, we had this new Jewish believer come, uh, and after service, he was just kind of playing on the piano uh, unofficially, and said, "Hey, that guy's pretty good, and uh, we should talk to him." Well, it turns out to be Marty Getz, who's now, of course, an internationally famous <laughs> uh, recording artist, a messianic uh, brother. And uh, but back in 1981. Uh, he was a newer believer, and, and uh, so he joined our worship team. So that was uh, quite a special time in that, those early years that I always get to, to tease Marty uh, that uh, he, he was my first piano player. So uh, we had a good music group, a worship team, Beth Ariel, and then when we started uh, the San Diego group, uh, there was no other musicians, so it was kind of me and, and the wife again doing a solo uh, wife on the tambourine so music's always been a fun part well that's great um, it seems that most messianic synagogues have less than 100 people in services on a regular basis what did Kaylot Ariel do that may have helped the synagogue grow to um, more than 100 regular attendees yeah, yeah we were blessed we usually have uh, around 200 or, or more uh, on a average Shabbat and um, you know uh, we have been doing this for quite a while now hard to believe uh, about 31 years in San Diego so it, it ha didn't happen overnight and um, and yet uh, we've had uh, slow slow I'd say consistent growth I, I think one big thing is a is a focus on a focus on outreach um, I don't know if every group has a strong focus on you know, actually getting out in the community and sharing Yeshua. Uh, we have park outreaches. We our our worship team, music band. We have an excellent one these days, and they go out to the malls and to the parks, uh, wherever there's an opportunity just to uh, represent uh, Yeshua and Messianic Judaism. We we jump at it. So. Uh, I, I think uh, outreach is a key because that's how we reach new people. Um, once people are, are with the synagogue, I think a big key to our growth has been the emphasis on uh, the team structure. Uh, it's not just the leadership even doing all, all the work, but uh, we've really tried to um, expand that and get 
every member involved somehow, some way. And um, it, it, I think we have a, a, a high percentage of, of uh, membership involvement in the, in the actual ministry. So, uh, and that's a blessing because uh, too often the leadership of, of uh, religious groups, uh, churches or synagogues, you know, can, can be burnt out because they are doing all the work and they kind of have to do all the work. Uh, well, this the team philosophy uh, uh, takes that burden off of just a few people and spreads it to many. And uh, and plus, it, it it gives the larger community uh, a blessing, and and they really feel a sense of ownership. It is their synagogue, and uh, people just look at it differently when they're involved in that way. So uh, Ephesians 4:11 says the the calling of the messianic rabbi is to equip the believers for the work of ministry. And that's been my personal uh, philosophy, that I'm not called to do all the work of ministry, but my main focus should be equipping others to do that work of ministry. And, uh, you know, we're certainly not perfect and still growing in that effort, but but, uh, I think that's been a big help and and made made our time at Kehillat REL a real blessing. What are some of the current and long-term plans for KLOT Ariel? Well, uh, current plans, goals we have, uh, I, I think a lot of it just is continuing on with our vision. Our vision statement, uh, by the way, is, is uh, an acronym of four letters that spells the word HATS, uh, like Jews like to wear hats, I remind everyone. And uh, hats, havara means fellowship. So we like to, we're developing home groups around San Diego County. We have about 12 of them right now. And even different language groups uh, growing. So uh, uh, fellowship, uh, social connection with one another is so important. Uh, So we're working on that goal. Uh, A is for avodah, which uh, of course means uh, worship and also service, work. So, um, you know, our worship services certainly are part of that vision, but, but in, in the Jewish understanding, avodah, worship, is doing something. You know, in the ancient days, you could not come to a worship service in the temple without bringing a sacrifice. So it's that kind of uh, paradigm where, where what not what are we getting, you know, coming to service and what do, what do I get out of this, but what can I bring to it? And so, avodah, how can I serve? And, and that would also include a, a social, we have a, a social um, justice committee and, and a social action involved uh, with various uh, humanitarian efforts uh, internationally as well as in our local area uh, with the Jewish community. A larger Jewish community. So um, the T of our that vision stands for Torah, which of course is well. It's it's more than just a Torah scroll. It, the Torah, of course, means teaching. So a big focus of our ministry is uh, just teaching. We we need the word. I think especially as Jews, uh, there's a lot of ignorance out there of of the Tanakh, and not even to mention the New Testament. So uh, we uh, have a big focus. Every almost every main service, there's some kind of significant teaching, because that's uh, that is our direction. That's our life uh, instruction for life. And the last uh, letter S or Sheen for shlichut, uh, which is the Hebrew word for outreach, like shaliach to be sent out. So as mentioned before, we uh, are big adherents to outreach. Uh, in a way that relates to the Jewish community, just just being in the community, just being involved, uh, prevent, presents all sorts of opportunities. So um, uh, that's what we're doing now, uh, just building on that vision and, and trying to strengthen that foundation always. Uh, longer term goals, we, uh, you know, we share a building with four other congregations right now, four other churches. 
uh, Asian church, Spanish church, uh, Baptist church, and us. And it's really a blessing in a lot of ways. Uh, but, you know, part of our, our vision is uh, to, uh, in God's time, have our own uh, synagogue building here in San Diego. So we're actively uh, adding to that building fund and, and keeping our eyes open and praying what God would have for us. Uh, so we see a, a good, a bright, long-term future for Kehilat REL. You had some key contributions to the start of my music career. Um, how did you help start the band Netzer, and how did Kaylot Ariel support the band? Oh yeah, that was a, a sweet time. Well, uh, of course, uh, you, David, as my son, uh, brought up in a family of three other siblings, and and myself being an amateur musician, but a love for for music. It's just like every every kid was encouraged to pick up an instrument early in life and early days i know uh you david had you know picked up the clarinet and you know that, that was a, a blessing for many years hopefully you can still pick that up once in a while with your your music and um and for me uh i i, I evolved from acoustic guitar more into bass guitar uh, we needed more bass guitar at a certain time of our synagogue so and I remember that um, uh, as you, you and your younger brother were growing up, uh, you and Aaron, and uh, had a couple friends at synagogue, and you know, and I, probably junior high years, I guess, right? Right. Yeah, it would be. Uh, I was in early high school, and Aaron was in, uh, I think, the last year of middle school. Yeah. Yeah. So, and uh, you know, expressed interest in in. A band and and I, I I do remember encouraging you guys. I said, hey, that's great. Go for it. And you know, uh, your brother got interested in percussion drums and he got a good gift with that. And I taught you, I think everything I know on bass in a, in in 20 minutes. And then you <laughs> took it from there. And uh, had a, a couple of guitarists, a couple of vocalists, and and pulled together the band that. Uh, yeah, we called Netzer, which, which uh, of course, is the Hebrew word branch, but a very messianic term. In, uh, in Isaiah 11, it says the branch will come from uh, Jesse, from the fa family of David. So, uh, yeah, we just thought, you know, wouldn't that be unique to have, I mean, there's, there's Christian rock bands, there's garage bands all over the place, but, you know, it's very unique to have a... a a rock band with uh, Jewish kids that believe in the Messiah. So that was your, your niche. And it was great to see how uh, God opened up some, some uh, uh, unusual doors, all the way from coffee houses in Tijuana, Mexico, sharing uh, some good concerts down there, uh, to uh, secular venues in San Diego, big secular venues uh, with other rock bands. And um, to me, I, uh, probably one of the one of the highlights was was uh, the battle of the bands at the Jewish Community Center, uh, and I'm sure you know, remember that one, David. And uh, that was that was great. Several bands uh, playing, and you know some kind of Jewish connection, Jewish kids, and uh, it was pretty cool. Netzer came in second out of all the bands, so uh, so yeah, that was the development, and and I think. Music is such a wonderful gift from God. It can be used, of course, twisted in a bad way uh, uh, that so much of the world does, but but it's ultimately from God, and it can be used in a good way. And how great to have a, uh, a contemporary rock, uh, you know, band that would uh, talk about ideas of the Messiah and Yeshua. So, so I was very blessed to to watch you guys take take that and run with it excellent when i finish uh, part one of this podcast i'll i usually put a song at the end of uh the recording is there a favorite song of yours for my band oh yeah uh it's uh, the, uh kings of the earth i think it's the title right uh, from uh uh psalm uh 
Psalm 2, uh, a king will reign in Zion, and uh, so uh, yeah, that's that's one of my favorite ones. I I still listen to Netzer. Your uh, three three CDs over the years that uh, I you know I know I'm a little biased as your dad, but uh, I sincerely like uh, like the music, and I know uh, Netzer's been blessed, and now the band's kind of branched off to different focus and different names, but. Uh, you've had some good concerts and even playing at the recent AMF uh, music festival and in North Carolina and concerts in Chicago and Ohio California conferences so uh, yeah that's, that's still a, a blessing and and it was I have to say it was a special blessing it was way beyond my expectation when you guys started writing your own music at first you know it was just kind of like learn some cover songs and some some messianic songs or Israeli songs, which is cool enough, but then uh, you guys started getting creative and, and wrote some really uh, unique, uh, beautiful stuff. So, yeah, I always like the Netzer. Excellent. We'll tag that song on to the end of the podcast. You mentioned that you attended the Asheville Music Festival, which is a messianic music festival in North Carolina. Uh, would you like to describe your experience at the festival? Oh, well... What can you say? It was a total blessing. I mean, over a thousand people, and I think uh, 900 of them were probably un under the age of 30, it seemed to me. And it was a focus on uh, younger uh, bands and, and uh, uh, younger generation, which uh, was, is so great. And they let a few of us older guys sneak in. Uh, but all the bands, there's uh, I think over 40, 40 bands and, and groups that did presentations. And uh, just taking it in, I was totally blessed. It was very encouraging because, uh, if not, it, for one thing, it's, it showed that, you know, the philosophy of Messianic Judaism, uh, Jew, a Jewish way to follow Yeshua, that it's, it's a lifestyle and it's not just going to, you know, end in one generation that your generation, David, and is, is multiplying and, and I think even has a, a strong uh, passion for for the vision of, of this. And, you know, you may not be doing, you won't be doing everything your parents' way and, and the older generation's way. That's, that's how it always goes. But uh, the basic vision is the same. It's like we're Jews. We appreciate our Jewish heritage, and I think AMF was uh, a beautiful reminder that it, it all came out in in the arts and music, and all this creative uh, new music uh, coming out from your generation, expressing faith and and issues of life. So three days of listening, <laughs> it was uh, quite amazing. All different genres of music. And and I think just having that kind of event itself was a major accomplishment and a major statement. So very much a blessing and encouragement to everyone. Well, that's great to hear. Um, we'll be back after this quick break. This episode is sponsored by The Pear Republic. The Pear Republic is a Messianic Jewish grunge and punk band. They recently released their self-titled first album. Their album is available on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, and more. You can visit the band on www.facebook.com slash thepairrepublic. That's P-E-A-R-R-E-P-U-B-L-I-C. And youtube.com slash thepairrepublic. Why did you write a book about the Jewish holidays from a Messianic perspective? Well, uh, I'd been involved in Jewish ministry for several years, and in the, the, the mid-1980s, uh, it, it just occurred to me, it seemed like every Jewish holiday that would come around, uh, even within my own group, people had like the same questions. 
you know, how do you light the menorah for Hanukkah? Which, do you go right to left, or you know, where, where do you start? Uh, what's the blessing for for the matzah? Uh, how do you uh, celebrate uh, Rosh Hashanah? And and just you know, every year those holidays rolling around, and and many of the same questions. And I, I began to realize, well, yeah, I know there's Jewish books on this, and you know, you make use of that from from the a larger Jewish community and, and Jewish scholars, uh, but of course they don't make the connection to Yeshua. They leave him out totally, uh, and he's central to our faith. So, and then on the, I, I, I remember think, looking around in, in the and on the Christian side, which was the only other option, was there were some books on trying to explain Judaism, but they. Quite frankly, didn't know what they're talking about. Just a lot of confusing things, and it's like Jesus and prophecy, and and it wasn't, it wasn't the same thing. So um, I actually remember talking one time to one of my mentors, uh, Dr. Lewis Goldberg of Blessed Memory, a former uh, professor at uh, uh, Moody uh, Bible Institute, Jewish studies, mentor to a lot of us uh, in my generation. I said, hey, Doc, you know, I was explaining to him this problem. We just, you know, every year get the same questions. We, sh we should have something in writing. And Dr. Goldberg had already written several books and said, hey, Doc, you should, you know, the next book should be about the holidays in a messianic way. And he said, well, Barney, actually, I'm, I'm too busy. Why don't you write it? <laughs> so it totally surprised me because I had, you know, at the time, no experience writing books and not, not an inclination towards it. But... I began praying and thinking about it. Yeah, well, why not? You know, someone's got to do it, and I have a desire for it. So, started putting uh, the manuscript together, and uh, the result was uh, God's Appointed Times, uh, published in got published in 1993. It took a few years to get it in print, uh, get it written, and um, to me, it. it puts together the best of both worlds. It's, it's the basic uh, Jewish explanation of each holiday, where they came from, traditional Jewish observance. But uh, the unique part of the book is the connection to Yeshua. And of course, most people know that, that all the Jewish customs, all the Jewish holy days, somehow point to the Messiah. It's just like God's trying to get a message to us. And uh, and then it was fun too with God's appointed times. My my wife Liz, who's a strong Jewish believer, strong Jewish background, uh, she contributed with some art projects that could be used for each holiday, and even recipes, traditional Jewish dishes like honey cake for Rosh Hashanah. So it was really a, a group effort with me and um, my beloved wife Liz. And it's a book that's still out there. Uh, making an impact, so I'm really thankful for that. What does the follow-up book, God's Appointed Customs, address? Well, uh, yeah, after finishing God's Appointed Times, all the holy days, uh, that was a good accomplishment. Uh, but then I realized, you know, there's a pretty significant segment still missing in uh, daily Jewish observance. And that are that would be the customs. I call it the customs, the life cycle of uh, Judaism, uh, which would be the life cycle events like circumcision, bar mitzvah, uh, Jewish wedding, even the Jewish way of, of coping with death, and uh, so the whole life cycle. And then uh, various customs like the prayer shawl and mezuzah on the door. All these things. So, so uh, yeah. F uh, about three years later, I wrote the sequel, God's Appointed Customs, which uh, deals with these things. Again, giving uh, most of it is kind of Judaism 101, uh, a, a brief explanation of what these uh, things are, where they came from, traditional Jewish observance, but then making that uh, unique connection to Yeshua. And, and how these customs uh, remind us of God's truth in the Messiah. So, uh, yeah, really those two books together, God's Appointed Customs and God's Appointed Times, are a good uh, 
I think, basic overview of, of uh, Messianic Judaism. What was the process for writing your latest book, Matthew Presents Yeshua, King Messiah? How long did it take to write? Oh boy, yeah, well that turned out to be a different, uh, different challenge. Uh, the other books, you know, took a little bit of time, but, but uh, more like uh, two-year projects uh, for each book. Uh, whereas uh, Matthew, as far as uh, writing time, well, it, it spanned over seven years. And, uh, and that even took into account pr probably 30 years of, of teaching, of course, in the Gospels and notes and research from those 30 years. Uh, but it, it's, it's a significant book for those who have seen it. It's a 400-page uh, rather in-depth commentary, Messianic Jewish commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. And I just uh, had a great time putting my best shot into it. I've always loved the uh, rabbinics and the Talmud, and especially the uh, connection in first century Judaism, Mish Mishnah, uh, which was contemporary with uh, Yeshua and the New Testament. So obviously everyone realizes these days pretty much that, that Yeshua and the message of the New Testament took place within the context of uh, early uh, Talmudic Judaism. So you have to study Judaism to understand Jesus, and um, and you know there's more and more uh, books, articles written on this, even in the Jewish community. Amy Jill Levine's uh, written uh, book about the controversial uh, Jew. <laughs> uh, there's the annotated New Testament written by Jewish scholars, commentary on the New Testament. Uh, they don't quite make the full connection to Yeshua being the Messiah, and they, they, I believe they miss a couple things, but, but you know, it goes to show that people are interested. Uh, and on the Christian side, people are interested on the Jewish roots of Jesus. So it just makes sense that the Messianic uh, view would, would, uh, should be the central, uh, because we, we are Jewish, we understand the Jewish culture, uh, you know, I've studied it, graduate studies at, at uh, Jewish institutions and um, and and yet being believers in Yeshua we understand uh, that relationship with uh, with the Lord on, on that level so uh, Matthew I, I had a lot of fun writing it, it took a lot of work uh, but it's um, and it's been well received it's uh, gained out there it's been out about a year as uh, published and even have uh, several rabbis who are personally uh, reading the book and interacting. We're interacting email uh, dialogue about the topic of Yeshua being the Messiah. So, um, yeah, it's it's a big blessing to see the impact of that book. Well, it's it's great to hear that the impact that it has, um, you know, both in the Jewish and uh, Christian circles. Uh, where are your books available? I'm thankful to Messianic Jewish publishers uh, who have published all three of my books. And uh, of course, people can get the books directly from them on their website, messianicjewish.net. Messianicjewish.net. And uh, uh, they are, yeah, I see them in bookstores, I've seen them in Barnes and Noble, uh, secular bookstores. Uh, so, uh, and of course on Amazon, other sites. But um, uh, for this audience, if you're just wanting to order one, I would go directly to the publisher and bless the publisher too. So MessianicJewish.net. And uh, if it's a bookstore, uh, synagogue bookstore, uh, bulk sales, they can give a, a discount as well. How have you been involved in the Union of Messianic Jewish Congregations? I have been involved in the UMJC uh, almost since the beginning. Uh, uh, for those who don't know, it was a group of uh, 19 congregations that formed together in, in 1979 uh, for fellowship and sharing resources for community. And uh, I went to the, I guess it was the second conference, 1980, in uh, 
Silver Spring, Maryland. And uh, uh, I remember being impressed that, oh, this is great. There's other Messianic believers and even other synagogues across the country that are getting together. And uh, I, we didn't join at the time as a congregation, but uh, attended in the next few years. Again, I was involved with uh, Ariel Ministries and different things on the West Coast. But uh, finally, at the end of uh, the 80s, 1989, uh, we, we uh, made that transition and, and uh, officially joined the UMJC. And it's a big blessing to come together with other like-minded uh, rabbis and leaders and uh, congregations to come together. It's just very encouraging for the fellowship. And we don't stand alone. And uh, we've got some great events, annual conferences and, and uh, humanitarian uh, aid uh, projects. And uh, yeah, it's been, UMJC has been a big blessing uh, for Kehilat Ariel in San Diego. How is the UMJC developing new leaders? Well, that's that's one of the great points. Uh, it's, I really appreciate the focus of the UMJC, realizing that we need to proactively put some effort into uh, developing uh, some younger leaders. And uh, so there's been various uh, projects over the, the last few years, internships, uh, for example. Uh, the latest one, though, the last couple years, we call uh, K-20 for Kehila 2020, uh, if, as in the year 2020, that we'll have a certain amount of interns uh, developed. And uh, our synagogues are all chipping in some money uh, into this uh, K-20 uh, fund that sponsors scholarships for young adults, for internships, for educational scholarships, those who are, are pursuing higher education for, for ministry, and, uh, and just to make sure that the younger generation uh, has the resources it needs. And we're very blessed that there are uh, dozens of young adults that are taking advantage of this. And uh, I think it's, it's going to keep bearing good fruit uh, within the UMJC. So you have a, a unique title in that you're a Messianic Jewish surfing rabbi. Um, when did you start surfing? Well, I uh, born and raised in Southern California, and uh, uh, it, it, but it wasn't until uh, high school that I started board surfing. I guess before that, you do uh, this is before boogie boards and all that. But we did body surfing and always loved the ocean. Uh, so uh, a bunch of us got into surfing in the 60s. Uh, that's when it really, literally, the wave hit Southern California in a strong way. And so in, in the late 60s, I uh, got aboard and in my uh, high school years. And even before I had a driver's license, I would hitchhike to the beach with my surfboard and uh, managed to get a ride, usually. And uh, then when got a car, I'd be at the beach every opportunity, just learning how to surf to get better and better. So it's just a great—it's a great sport. It's—it's it's challenging. It takes some everything from balance to to ocean knowledge, and it's just a refreshing break from the usual day-to-day uh, -day grind of of, uh, of life. Well, excellent. Um... In the previous podcast, you mentioned that you became a believer in Hawaii. Um, how did you end up in Hawaii, and then how did you uh, return to California? Yeah, I, uh, well, I had a good friend, my best friend in, in high school, uh, who uh, we were talking as, as we're approaching high school graduation, and, you know, hey, let's get out of here, let's do something, you know, uh, interesting. <laughs> So, uh, you know, we're both uh, strong, avid surfers. Well, Hawaii's the place to go. It's the best, pretty much the best waves in the world. And again, this, this was in 1971, so it wasn't uh, as well-traveled back then. And uh, so we just decided that, you know, we're gonna pack our surfboards, pack a bicycle and a backpack 
throw it all in a box and uh, fly from San Diego uh, the, the week after high school graduation, fly from San Diego to uh, Maui Airport. And it was pretty interesting because we got to the airport in Hawaii and, and got the got our box off the, the belt and uh, opened the box and start putting together our bicycles, put together the, the rack for the bicycle, and uh, put the whole contraption together, surfboard on top of the rack, and just literally rode out of the airport uh, over about 20 miles to uh, the west side of Maui and uh, camped on the beach for a few weeks until we actually found a, a place to rent. So uh, it was, uh, yeah, a, a very beautiful time. Only 18 years old, uh, but uh, catching some of the best waves I'd ever gotten and Hawaii just has a special feel to it. Uh, what was interesting is that that's, as I had mentioned in the previous uh, podcast, that that's actually where I made my commitment to Yeshua. I'd been thinking about Jesus. I mean, you know, everyone hears about him. But uh, I've been holding off and reading a little bit in the New Testament, but then putting it off. Well, I guess the interesting thing uh David, when I got to Hawaii, I began to realize, well, wait a second, I'm here in paradise. Everything around me is like almost perfect, but why am I not like real happy? And I began to realize that it, it just, I guess, dawned on me that the, the issue was within my spirit and it wasn't external stuff. And that uh, it just, I guess, the Holy Spirit just really. It convinced me that you know I need to get in with Yeshua. Either I'm in or I'm out, and and now's the time. And so, I I met some other uh, Christian surfers in in Maui, and they invited me to their you know Bible fellowship, and uh, I was ready to go then. And uh, I remember uh, officially opening up my heart to Yeshua at the first service I went to, and. Uh, and then I just stayed there for about six months, just growing. We met virtually every day for Bible study and mentoring, discipleship, and it was a very important time for me. So, um, but then from there, from after about six months or so, I began to have a burden for my family back in San Diego and all my friends in Southern California. And uh, so I, I just felt like the Lord was leading me to get back to Southern California. And uh, so that's when I left Hawaii and came back as a totally different person. And uh, yeah, got to share, share the good news with a, a lot of my friends and family at that time. Oh, that is a really interesting uh, testimony. Uh, can you tell me a little about Shabbat at the Shores? Oh, well, uh, yeah, that's uh, one of my favorite <laughs> meetings of the year. Uh, uh, a few Shabbat evenings, uh, late afternoons, um, on Fridays, during the summer in San Diego, we just decided to take, uh, you know, the Shabbat service public outdoors. And in San Diego, the beach is the natural place. So uh, we call it Shabbat at the Shores because uh, we have uh, one of our best beaches here is La Jolla Shores and happens to be, you know, very much in the Jewish community and just beautiful beach. And there's actually other synagogues down there uh, a lot of times with their services in the summer. So uh, we decide, well, uh, hey, let's do it. So we invite everyone down and... and um, you know, we uh, 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 have our uh, a brief outdoor service, some prayers. Uh, everyone brings their dinner, enjoy the beautiful sunset in the summertime. And uh, it's also a, a great uh, time. I, I mentioned one of our goals, obviously, is outreach. And to me, that's a good example of a, a kind of a natural outreach. It's not like we're passing out tracks or something like that. We don't really have to. But we're there doing folk dancing and having a Shabbat service. And we'll have uh, entire Jewish families walk up and join us for the service and, and hear a, a brief message about who we are. 
and um, and even people walking by just inquiring, hey, what's is this obviously some kind of synagogue? What is this? And we get to share with them. So it's an outreach time as well. And and uh, the uniqueness of, I guess, the surfing rabbi, I, I guess I'm the only uh, one around, certainly Messianic rabbi, uh, that, that uh, I invite everyone uh, before the whole thing, like late Friday afternoon, like 3 o'clock, and just say, okay, meet the rabbi at the checkered flag for a surf session. So, uh, you know, that's that's a pretty cool way to, to get prepared for Shabbat. Little surf session right there, then we're we, we're out of the water, and then we have our nice sunset service uh, to bring in Shabbat. And yeah, it's a beautiful time. Uh, uh, many people come out and appreciate it. Yeah, as far as I know, you're the only Messianic Jewish uh, surfing rabbi. Uh, I mean, maybe there's a, been a Messianic Jewish rabbi that's tried it once. Uh, has you don't know any of any other messianic rabbis that have tried uh, surfing? There's a couple of uh, friends, uh, not ordained rabbis, but they actually lead uh, groups. Uh, my friend Pat Adamson up in L.A. is a good surfer, uh, and he's a bivocational leader. He's not an ordained rabbi, but he's a great brother that leads uh, Kehilat Mashiach up in uh, Los Angeles. So there's a couple guys that, that do uh, surf that I know, um, and we have several Jewish surfers in our synagogue, but you know they're not uh, rabbis. And um, it's interesting. I could almost say I'm the only surfing rabbi at all, but uh, I know there is one up in Los Angeles, a Chabad rabbi, uh, uh, Nahum Shifrin, and he's well known as a surfing rabbi. Uh, of course, Chabad uh, theology and all. I've uh, tried to c connect with him, but we haven't done so so far. But, but I'd say I'm definitely one of the very few surfing rabbis in the world. Uh, it just kind of sounds different in itself. And I believe I'm the only Messianic uh, surfing rabbi. Um, I, oh, I should mention my friend David Stern in Israel. Uh, David Stern, of course, the translator of the complete Jewish Bible and uh, one of the great scholars. Uh, he is a longtime surfer before I, I was. And uh, he actually, a, a little known fact, David Stern wrote a book in the early 60s, uh, before he was a believer even, and it's called uh, Surfing Southern California. And it's actually a surfing guide to all the spots uh, from, from Santa Barbara down to San Diego. And it's by David Stern. He was a professor at UCLA, uh, economics professor, and and so I guess that's where he got his start as a as an author. So uh, there's a few of us. Uh, when I see David Stern, it's 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 always great. We kind of smile at each other and and remind each other that we're the the two uh, founding members of the Messianic Surfing Association worldwide. <laughs> And uh, several years ago, I, I did film some footage of you uh, of you surfing, and that's gotten some views online. So all you have to do is search for Messianic Jewish Surfing Rabbi on Google or YouTube, and you'll find that. Yeah, yeah, that, that was fun. It was funny because it was very impromptu. I think you brought your camera along, and just, I didn't, you know, it's not like we had a script or thought of anything, but uh, that was a nice little clip. And then if people are really motivated, they, they should check out uh, Rufus the Surfing Dog because he's uh, our dog and uh, uh, surfing Jack Russell. So we got you got a nice clip of Rufus as well. Yeah, that's a, that is a funny clip. Um, so Kaylot Ariel uh, ran a surf camp briefly. Um, could you tell me a little about that? Yeah, in years past we've had we had several surf camps, which are again very Southern California thing. A lot of churches, synagogues, JCC, all these groups have surf camps because uh, the ocean's here, the beach is the culture, and um, so we had a, a surf camp for several years, and have about twenty twenty five of our kids. Uh, learn how to surf or some knew how to surf a little bit and and spend the morning down at the beach uh, surfing but then interspersed with that would be some bible lessons and 
challenge on walking with the Lord as a Messianic Jew. And uh, so it was just a great fellowship and, and fun time together. Uh, we've had to discontinue that just because the city got very strict <laughs> with all these groups. I mean, dozens and dozens of groups. They put a bunch of restrictions out and uh, expensive permits that are now required that we just you know couldn't do the whole thing. So uh, we sadly don't have a surf camp, official surf camp, but you know that's where the Shabbat at the shores kind of fills in. And just say you know unofficially, come on down and meet the rabbi for a surf session uh, on those Shabbat at the shore days. So I take it uh, because of your surfing abilities and because of your Messianic Jewish background, um, you were able to get involved in uh, Promised Land, the movie. Yeah, yeah, that oh. It's one of the fun projects of my entire ministry uh, experience. Uh, I was contacted uh, a couple years ago by a Christian uh, company, ministry, uh, called Walking on Water. And I was well aware of them. I even knew a couple of the guys. Uh, they're Christian surfers, pro surfers. Uh, many of them uh, surf competitively. And yet they, they are very strong believers, and they've, over the years, over about the last 15 years, they've put uh, about a dozen uh, DVDs together, movies, uh, top-grade professional movies on surfers, surfing, with, interspersed with Christian testimonies and, and a witness of, of uh, the gospel, the good news. Well, they called me a couple years ago, and I, I didn't realize. They said, uh, hey, uh, Rabbi Barney, we're, we, we're calling you because we're doing their next project in Israel. And we've connected with some Israeli pro surfers, and we have a great relationship with them. We've surfed in Israel several times, and they've even visited us in California. And uh, we're making a movie about Israel and surfing. And uh, but but we've run into a little glitch that I think we need your help. You know, I, our other movies are like very Christian oriented and straightforward. You know, Christian <laughs> witnessing, as it were. Uh, but we realize we can't do that with with these Israeli guys, and it's just a different uh, situation. And we're not quite sure what to do. Can you help us out? So I was blessed to uh, to uh, volunteer to. to a consultant and give them some counsel on hey here's even some terminology that's better than what you're using and and here's maybe some ideas for the movie itself and uh, one thing led to another where uh, as I had been working with them for several months like this they said hey you know Barney you just gotta we're going for one last film filming on location in Israel surfing in Israel and we want to invite you to come and this is with, again, Christian pro surfers. This is with Israeli pro surfers. And uh, especially interesting was they, they said, we're, this time we're inviting three-time world champion Tom Curran to join us on this uh, Israeli surfing safari. And uh, you got to come, Rabbi. Uh, this is, it was really amazing because, I mean, I, I, what would you compare it to? It's like... Uh, being invited to play uh, basketball with Michael Jordan, you know, it's just like uh, incredible, and uh, and so um, I jumped at that opportunity, and and you know we set our dates and hopped on a plane. I met the guys over there in Israel, and uh, we we're only there for I was only there for eight days, and you know if you think about it, everyone probably realizes the surf in Israel can be pretty temperamental. It's the Mediterranean Sea. It's not the Pacific Ocean. Uh, so it can be totally flat for two months, and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, it was totally flat when we arrived in Israel, but the wind was blowing a certain direction, and the Israeli surfers at, at that time were saying, you know, that there's going to be surf. This is It's like I guess they know from those conditions that uh, the winds pick up from the far side of the Mediterranean and, and create some waves and it was a good sign for them and sure enough uh, the next uh, six days we had some, some great waves, some of the best waves of the year and so it was really what an experience for me uh, 
you know, rent a couple cars, uh, vans, and, and it's professional camera equipment, professional camera crew in the water with their underwater, you know, waterproof cameras and the whole deal. And, um, and we surfed up and down all the way from, from uh, Ashdod in the south to uh, about uh, Haifa in the north. And, and especially with the Israelis who knew like a lot of the secret surf spots, so to speak. I mean, uh, spots, I'd, I've been to Israel, you know, dozens of times and I, I've surfed Israel, but I didn't know some of these spots. And uh, it was just a, a blast. Uh, and what a blessing to hang out with the Israelis, to connect with just, sec you know, they're pretty secular Israelis, the surf community, and uh, to share with them. They said that they came up with the idea that, hey, let's get the rabbi in the movie a couple ways. Number one, let's have him, let's close the movie out with sharing a Passover Seder together. Israelis and Christian surfers, and they figured the Messianic rabbi is the perfect bridge between them. So uh, we were at one of the, the guy's homes, and... Uh, uh, set up a, a Seder table and, and had a, you know, uh, it comes out as about a three-minute film clip in the movie, but, but you know, I got to explain the Afikoman, uh, the middle matzah that's broken, and uh, for us is a perfect picture of Yeshua. And the Israeli guys were saying, wow, you know, that's interesting. I haven't heard that before, <laughs> seen that, even though they've been celebrating the Afikoman all their life. And the Christian guys, of course, were saying, "Wow, I hadn't seen that." You know, that's that's that isn't that where communion came from? So uh, I got to share the Passover Seder in the movie Promised Land, and uh, it, it was kind of a, a cool benefit. They actually uh, put a couple couple clips of me uh, surfing in Israel. So I didn't even expect to to make it in the movie on that regard, but but uh, it just shows that I really connected with the whole crowd and. And it was pretty cool have a surfing rabbi in the mix there with all these uh, top-notch surfers. So we had a great time with uh, that Promised Land movie. Um, it is available through Walking on Water uh, Ministries, and I'll tell you what, it's it it premiered in Israel uh, in six different Israeli uh, theaters venues, and uh, and people love the movie. It's 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 kind of got a low key, I'll call it, presentation of Yeshua, but it's a very positive movie on Christians who support Israel and the Israelis who love the Christians, and we all connect on surfing, and so uh, it, it's it's shown internationally. It's shown throughout Europe. It's shown at film festivals. Shown, of course, in the states. And it's still getting out there. So that's Promised Land, uh, the surf movie. That sounds like a great message, and it's great how you were able to uh, be involved in the film. So you said that uh, you were in a, clip, in a few clips briefly. Is it um, Was it like a shot or two, or um, was it like blink and you miss it kind of appearances? No, there, there are a couple of uh, waves that, uh, you know, I kind of stand out. <laughs> you can tell it's me on the wave. I, you know, I'm kind of the older guy. Uh, everyone else is, in, you know, in their uh, 20s, 30s, maybe 40. And uh, so I got this guy that's almost 60 uh, surfing with them, this, you know, surfing rabbi. And so, uh, and I'm, I'm not the the best surfer out there. That's for sure. But I, you know, I can hold my own. And so they got me on a couple waves that are clearly, oh, hey, there's, that's the rabbi surfing that one. And and they have me uh, doing quite a bit of dialogue in the background, just and presenting the the importance of Israel and Jerusalem, and our belief that that Yeshua is the Messiah and the Messiah is coming back to Israel. So it's it's just a I'll tell you what I think it's a very anointed uh, presentation that is a bridge builder. It's uh, able to be shown in in Israel no problem uh, throughout the Jewish community. I know you guys in Chicago had a big showing. Uh, many several groups got together and spot and rented a theater and uh, I know you had a nice outreach with several hundred people. So. Um, so yeah, it, I'm able to be in the movie more than they even they originally thought, 
that they began to realize, I think, that, hey, the Messianic Jewish message is kind of the cement to the whole movie. So uh, that's how it came out. Okay, and I, at the end of the podcast, um, I'm going to play the audio from the trailer for the f film uh, Promised Land. Where is the film available? Uh, it's available through the website of uh, Walking on Water. Uh, com walking on water and uh, that's the name of the Christian surf company that put it together uh, it has its own website if you if people want to try that it's called promise land the movie promise land the movie.com and uh, yeah it's available in DVD and it is available uh, as I've mentioned it's been shown multiple places uh, theater venues, synagogues, churches, um, and you, people can contact Walking on Water to see what the details are and how to have a, a showing, a screening in your local area. Especially if you live in a, a, a Jewish community, uh, it's, it's just a creative, different kind of outreach. Dialogue builder, bridge builder. So, yeah, I encourage everyone to at least get a DVD for themselves. I think any follower of Yeshua would would really appreciate the message of Israel and and you know it's not I, I, I gotta say uh, David it's it's not just uh, there are movies out there it seems like about you know Israel and prophecy and Israel this you know the spiritual side of Israel but this one's really different because the subtitle of it by the way is Israel through the eyes of surfers so it's basically all these secular Israelis, you know, tattooed, you know, just just the guys that own the surf shop in Tel Aviv, and and uh, it's very interesting to to hear their story. Where did their families come from? How did they end up in Israel? Um, and what did they think of the whole situation, the Middle East situation now? So it's not you know a hyper religious movie, but uh, it's from a different angle, and that's why it's gotten a lot of attention. I should also mention that one of the uh, showings, two different showings, screenings that we've had, uh, one in Israel, it was the, the mayor of Ashdod actually came and brought his cabinet, uh, his, his members of his cabinet with them, and he opened the film, he introduced the film. A couple months later, uh, we were screening it in San Diego at, a, at, at the La Jolla Museum of Contemporary Art, just a secular venue. 500 people showed up, actually two different shows for five, with 500 each. The first show, uh, call it coincidentally, the mayor of the Israeli city of Sterot, uh was in town, was in San Diego. He saw the movie. Uh, first screened it privately and he was so enthused about it he came to the showing and he introduced the movie put his endorsement on it in front of 500 people a lot of them Jewish people from the Jewish community so um, it's it's quite uh, amazing and remember stay road for those who don't know that's the town right next to Gaza there the that's the town that was taking the rockets for the last few years so um, got to personally connect with the mayor of Stairoats, and uh, actually we hope to visit uh, his town this upcoming summer and and do a humanitarian project of uh, remodeling, refurbishing a bomb shelter in, in that city. So there's been a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of good fruit, and I think it's still going to come uh, with that movie, Promised Land. Well, that's really great. Um, yeah, I do have to agree with you that a lot of films about Israel, um, you know, at least from a Christian or Messianic perspective, don't actually deal with Israelis. So it was great to see, you know, the stories told for, you know, from a couple different people. And it was also great, um, you know, first, it's a it's a beautiful movie. Um, you know, it's, um, you know, if you can see it in, in high definition, it's a, you know, brilliant resolution, and, you know, even, you know, it's more than just a surf movie, um, there's definitely some great surf in it, but there's, you know, enough um, to keep people interested, even if they're not surfers. Um, for example, yeah, the, you know, I went to a showing of the film in Chicago, um, where there was 500 people, and, you know, even though there's technically, you can surf in Lake Michigan, I think there's 
there's only you know a handful of people that had actually surfed you know the rest of the people you know wanted to see a film about Israel and I think that it went over really well yeah that, well that I know that's great and it's it's shown uh, different places in Europe it showed in Munich I mean it's just places that are not known for surfing but it's really a documentary about Israel and so that's and and you know Israel's always in the news and people it's it's controversial so um, there are plenty of supporters plenty of people that question Israel so uh, and uh, one little note on the movie that I thought was very important too they they, they struggled with this but they actually uh, interview and uh, a, a Palestinian surfer whose family is from Gaza but he lives in Yafo and he buys the surfboards from the Israeli surf shop there and uh, they included the Palestinians views and it's it's pretty amazing uh, in the movie he just says it you know he's telling the truth his heart that uh, you know there's some problems there's some hatred even and we all hope for peace, but, uh, you know, so it was uh, a lot of times, uh, I think this movie really did a good job of being a true documentary and having a variety of views presented. Yeah, also it's, it deals a lot with, uh, you know, Gaza and the, and the West Bank in, in the film, and, you know, and unfortunately it's, uh, you know, pretty timely with the current conflict that's going on in Israel. Yeah, yeah, they, you know, it's it's just kind of one continuous war, as far as I can tell, from 1948. Um, you know, it, there's been quiet spells, and we say, well, there's different wars. There's Yom Kippur, there's the Six-Day War, uh, Lebanon War, but it's it's, I think people realize that it's basically flaring up the same opposition, the same war, and as we speak, uh, you know, there's the truce and, and we pray for peace, of course, of Jerusalem and all of the Middle East. But, um, you know, it actually confirms what we're all talking about, David, you on your, your, blog, your podcast and whatever area of ministry we're involved with is that uh, the ultimate answer is only with God. The ultimate answer for peace is uh, only in the Messiah which is God, who is God's peace plan. Uh, and you know, for us Messianic Jews, we're convinced from our studies and experience that Yeshua of Nazareth is that Messiah. So uh, yeah, all these, uh, it, it's very interesting days we live in. And to me, it just confirms all the more that, that Messianic Judaism needs to be on the front lines of presenting our message and our experience. Okay, well, it was great to talk to you, Dad. Hey, likewise, son. Oh, thank you, and uh, Lord bless you on this uh, new uh, ministry uh, podcast. I think it's a, it's an excellent idea. I've enjoyed listening to your other interviews, and um, and uh, may the Lord just spread the good news of uh, of the Scripture and of Yeshua through through uh, through your work there, son. Thank you for listening to the Messianic Media Podcast. Like us on Facebook.com slash Messianic Media and send any comments to MessianicMedia at gmail.com.